0: Hey guys, it's your guest host Calvin again for another episode of Catching Up With Cub. Uh, today I'm here with Mike Burford, who is the founder of Urban Pulse, which is a general engineering company. Mike is also the founder of a holdings and management company with holdings in the hospitality industry, fitness, construction, online and more. We talk about Mike's lessons throughout growing up in an unsettled and tough environment. We discuss the challenges in running and operating multiple businesses at one time in different industries. and Michael shares his outlooks on the future of our society, including blockchain, the impact of AI, and pulling off his ultimate goal in building a smart city. This was one of the most fantastic conversations I've ever had with a guy who is the definition of a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I think there's lessons throughout this conversation that can be taken away by everybody. Enjoy the show. All right, Mike, how are you doing?
1: Good, man, how are you
0: doing? Very good, very good. I believe it is your, your birthday today. It is indeed. Thank so happy much. birthday. Yeah, nice, uh, nice special birthday episode. And I, I'm re- really looking forward to this one. We've known each other for a while now. Um, you're around the club often, and, and we've we've built a great relationship over over the years and, and you know, always have been appreciative of of what you've offered me and, and, and the club. And so, yeah, really looking forward to getting into this conversation today. Um, there's a lot of for us to go into, um, but I think where I'd like to start was, how did you grow up? Well, um,
1: yeah, no, thanks man. It's been awesome being part of CUB. Um, I have really become f- part of the furniture and I've uh, really enjoyed it. It's an amazing group of people and it's good to get to, get to know you and the team as well. Um, so thanks. Um, how do I grow up? That's, a, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, so I was born in an army base. My dad was in the army. Um, and then my dad was doing peacekeeping over in the Sinai. So I flew over to Israel and lived there and turned one in Israel, which is pretty cool. Um, Bit of history there, obviously. And then we flew back to New Zealand again and moved over and lived in Israel when I was uh, between seven to 12 years old. Um, that was an experience and a half, really, really interesting uh, upbringing, went to school in the old city. I got three stitches in my head from getting stoned from some local kids, and I got four stitches in my leg from running away from some others, so I got my Israel, what I call my Israeli passport. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's sort of, that, that's an interesting part of my history because I guess later on, I managed to get myself a, a, an amazing mentor who was also from Israel. And so he and I used to keep up with my Hebrew, and um, which was you know, obviously for me very special as well, um, but also built this really cool bond with with my mentor. Uh, his name was jo- uh, Yossi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. so a really Jewish name as well. Um, and so he ended up managing – well, we'll come to him a bit later, but he taught me a heck of a lot as well. Um, from there I, I went back to New Zealand again and moved over to Australia. I left home when I was 16 and uh, – uh, Ended up working for what we call an Italian family back in Christchurch and uh, that sort of taught me a lot of entrepreneurship. I um, ran a few of the restaurants for them uh, from, the, from the age of 16 which, which sort of you know, threw, threw me right in the deep end and taught me money and all the rest of it. Um, then we set up some nightclubs and uh, that sort of taught me a bit about the, the school of the hard knocks I guess, living on the, the sort of that side of life um, which was quite interesting and uh, really, really ingrained that entrepreneurship into me. Um also a bit of that sort of culture as well, you know, got into the whole fashion design side of things and was creating our own labels and uh dabbling in a bit of that. And um I ended up getting myself into a bit of trouble at a sort of young age, I guess, with that sort of influence around me and um that trouble. I'll tell you the story. I um this my sister was dating this boy and uh he ended up cheating on her with my sister's best friend, and my sister caught them. And uh, so she sends him a message one day on MSN at the time and goes, you know, screw you, why'd you do this? You're a dick, rah, rah, rah. And, um, and so he sends a message back, which was, I'll, I'll tame it down for the, uh, for the podcast, but pretty much death threats. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she showed me that in writing, obviously. And, um, and my sister and I used to do salsa dancing classes together. And across the road from the salsa dancing classes was his house. And every time I walked out, she was like, man, I wish you go around there and beat the crap out of him. So then she one day rocks up with his new boyfriend, who was this Russian guy, also a little bit dodgy. Uh, sister's got really good taste in men. <laughs> and um, and so my older brother and I took him for a little tour around to the ex-boyfriend's house and said, this is what happens if you muck around my little sister. And uh, so I got in a bit of trouble. and um, But that trouble led me back into the church, uh, which probably saved a big part of my life as well. Um, and so then I sort of stepped away from the, the Italian family side of things and um, and went back to studying and moved back at home with the parents and uh, got myself on personal training. Um, and then... The day I finished that, I jumped onto a plane and left New Zealand because Christchurch was too small of an environment for me. Um, walking down the street, pretty much my whole family knew most of Christchurch between us. And um, a good portion of it anyway. Um, so I moved over here to Australia and um, I think getting myself out of the environment really enabled me to um, start a new life, uh, start fresh. And um, my goal was to, to, <laughs> to come over here and work my butt off for a couple of years then I wanted to go dance my way around South America and then uh, go live in Spain and find myself a nice Spanish wife and settle down because I love the Latino culture. I ended up um, marrying my first boss. <laughs> so I'd never been to South America and never been to Spain um, and I think there's a good reason that she wouldn't allow me. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, that, that's really sort of what what sort of started my journey and Australia was, I guess, where, where my life really kicked off and, and where I... Um, where I sort of got into, well, got, got me where I am today. That was in 2007.
0: And yeah, I mean, that's quite interesting to kind of pick apart a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm an immigrant as well and I, I moved from South Africa to Australia at, at quite a young age. And, you know, I think looking back at that experience, you know, there's things that you go through moving at a young age, from a country to another country um, that really kind of cultivates, you know, a lot of who you become. How do you think that those those early years kind of moving to, you know, different cultures and and, and going through what you kind of went through um, I- impacted kind of who you are today?
1: It's a huge, huge part um, of, I guess, uh, appreciating where you are and where you've come from and and different cultures and, and learning that respect for the different cultures and realizing that, you know, just because people look or act different than you, it doesn't make them different because we're also different in their culture too. Um, so it gives you that really good sort of holistic um, perception of, of people and who they are and, and you know, everyone's got a story. Um, that's a really big sort of lesson that I've, I've really tried to teach my goddaughter and, and, and sort of people that it's, um, mentor is everyone's got a story. You know, the reason why you are who you are is because of, you know, your upbringing and, and the culture that you've come from and, and the sort of lessons that you've been through. And me and my school hard knocks, you know, that sort of taught me a lot about who I am and all the rest of it too. Um, but you know, don't judge a book by its cover because you never know what's really happening behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I often think to myself that, you know, I've always felt like the thing that I'm best at is is relationships and people. And I think those kinds of experience. Those kinds of experiences are what cultivates mm. that, because you're kind of forced to do to do that thing. Um, you obviously got into business pretty early on, you know. I, uh, you know, I'll let you kind of speak on 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 how old you were when you started your business. But what was the first business that you actually, you know, the first real business that you created?
1: The first legitimate business I got into <laughs> was, uh, it's called Aus the Lapse and uh, it still runs today, um, set that up in um, when I was 22 years old um, and how I got into that was um, my girlfriend, now wife, um, her, I came and stayed with the family for a little bit and uh, her dad was doing building inspections and so I'd look at him and say, hey, like you work from home, you work the hours that you want to work, you live a really good lifestyle, you make a little, good amount of money how do I do what you're doing and um and so he goes well first you need to know what you're talking about so I came back like a couple of days later and said how about this course over here and he goes, <laughs> looks at me sort of laughs and goes yeah sure that would get you that so I went off and studied that part-time through TAFE um while I was working in uh, hospitality and um got my cert for him building construction and then came back and said now what and he goes well now you start your own business I'm like all right sweet so I came back with a name and came back with you know logos and all the rest of it put it past him he's like yep 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 and uh and he sort of semi-retired and sort of said, "Look, you know, the jobs that I don't want, I'll give to you, and you can take them on." And then we started um, doing a couple of joint venture stuff together as well, and and sort of uh, working on a few projects like we did the um, Coffs Harbour, Coffs Harbour by, um, bypass, and um, and a few sort of big infrastructure projects like that, which sort of really got me started. Um, I kicked off the business with uh, a five thousand dollar loan and uh, and borrowed his camera and. Um, and bought a two and a half thousand dollar Toyota Corolla and was driving around with it, my little camera, taking photos of buildings and all the rest of it, doing property condition reports, and, and um, really, really good money. So uh, living out of their house, So I managed to save up a heap, and um, yeah, that was that was really interesting. It really, I guess it sort of highlight my young entrepreneurship, um, you know, and sort of what drives people is I'll never forget the day where I was sitting on the couch um, at my auntie's place and talking to my grandfather, who I highly respected in business. Um, and my auntie who was you know, living the high life, she had a really good lifestyle. And uh, I said to them, I want to be financially retired by the age of 25. And they both laughed at me. And that really pissed me off that they laughed at me. And so that was a real big driver for me. Just, It's just a small little subtle thing. But for me, I was just like, you know, you're a couple of people I respect and you're just sort of whatever. So for me, that was a, that was an interesting little driver that I sort of uh, took along with me and... Um, and don't think it was 25, I think it was about 26, 27 when I was sort of financially retired. I was like, you know what, I'm living the dream. This is awesome.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that, that, that chip on the shoulder, you know, I've had similar, similar experiences in the past where, you know, going, growing up in high school, I was never touted as someone to, to, to do anything in life really. Like school wasn't, wasn't a thing for me. And uh, yeah, the, 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 the skill set that I had at that time, it wasn't obviously translated into anything successful and i remember having conversations with with family and friends you know when i was younger and my brother and sister both very good academically cousins very good academically and they were always touted as the ones you know who were going to be successful and and calvin was kind of the uh the the, the drop of the family for a little while and yeah I, I i totally resonate i think that that chip on the shoulder yeah. you know it, it brings a lot of mo- motivation amongst a lot of other things mm. um you know, you've started this business at 22, obviously it's kind of growing over time. I know, I know that you, you know, you mentioned now that you were kind of financially free and, 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 and almost retired, you know, by the age of 26, 27. Take us through that journey, you know, what did that period of time look like and how did you get to that point at such a young age?
1: Obviously a lot of, lot of hard work. Um, so on one of the joint ventures we did the, um, uh, with my father-in-law, we did the uh, Gold Coast Light Rail project. Um, which almost actually sent us bus because they refused to pay, which was a lot of fun. Um, so that also taught us a lot. But my, my father-in-law made sure that I, would, I got paid out of the job because he was the one that took the contract on. Um, and um, so having that sort of lump sum cash come through and sort of set us up quite, quite nicely, I then uh, – and, and part of that project, I ended up hiring some freelancers um, to to help with, with uh, the building inspection side of things. So what happened was – I'd go out, I'd do all the building inspections. I hired a girl from America who applied for the job at $8 an hour to type my reports um, through one of those freelance websites. So what happened was my hourly rate on site, which usually would encompass my hourly rate back in the office, typing out the reports, um, I'd outsource for $8 an hour and then double my income, uh, on my my hourly rate on site. And, um, and then I, that ended up working really well and so I told her to hire her own team of report writers. And so she did that because we got a lot busier. And I then got uh, Joni, her name was, uh, Joni to then take on all my emails, my bookings and my phone calls using VoIP and all the rest of it. So then she would do that and then she would have the report writers writing the reports for me. And so all I had to do was just go outside, do the inspections and then send it off to her. And then because um, I would dictate the audio and take the photos and then she would compile them all together. Um, and then I ended up hiring some engineers which I didn't, a backst- backstab um, on that one. When I was 22, I set up Osdilapse. When I was 23, I set up GMB Structural with a business partner who was a structural engineer. Um, that business partnership fell through because of personality clash sort of thing. Really nice guy but just doing business was a bit rough. Um, so I ended up giving him the business and said, look, you know, you got got family on the way, you got a house and all the rest of it, I'm pretty free. You take the business, you take that engineer, I'll take this engineer and we'll just go our own ways. So then I set up Australian engineering specialists. So I had some engineers that worked for me and so then that they would go out and do the building inspections, send it off to the girls in America and then they'd write up the reports and then send it off to the clients and do my invoicing and all the rest of it. So that enabled me to have all the time in the world. So by the age of 29, I ended up, um, quotation marks, retiring because I didn't actually have to work anymore and I was making decent money. So then that was an interesting journey at 29 years old, you know, sort of. Not having anything to actually get out of bed for in the morning is definitely not somebody anybody should do no matter how old you are, um, especially when you've got a mindset like you know mine at such a young age as well. So my wife and I ended up um, going off and doing a bit of traveling and um, did my 30th over in Vegas and I got fat and turned into a bit of an alcoholic and thought, you know what, that's really bad. So once we got back to uh, Sydney again, my wife and I went out for dinner and I remember sort of sitting there going, said, look, we have got all this money, what are we going to do with it? Should we just reinvest it back into the business and carry on working? And she looks at me and goes, you need something to do. So I was like, "All right, sweet." So I ended up investing in a, a CEO um, who then came on and did some coaching sessions together, and he sort of helped build out this massive plan of, uh, I guess, a sort of circular economy for the property game. So we integrated town planning into it. We we're looking again into the whole real estate side of things too, because he was a, uh, used to be a, a global CEO of a real estate company, um, and so looking to get into the whole rental properties and all the rest. Um, and then I went off and found an investor um, who made all his money in cryptocurrency. And, uh, he and him and I decided we're gonna go all in together. So he put all his money in, I put all the businesses in and um, we set up this new new group um, in 2018 and we bought a couple of restaurants and supermarkets up on the Sunshine Coast um, and sort of got back into the business game again.
0: And, and what do you think it was that motivated you to, to get back into business? Because it, it's an interesting kind of conversation. You know, you, you, you become successful at such a young age you, you got to think to yourself, you know, what, what are the motivators as to why I'm doing what I'm doing? You know, is, is it just financial? Obviously in your case, it wasn't because you had to, you know, you, you obviously found yourself in quite a dark place. You had to get back into business to then continue to drive forward. What, what do you think the motivator was at that time to, to jump back into things?
1: Um, the word that I live by is impact. I want to create as much impact as possible um in my lifetime for what i can you know uh, for my i guess community uh, so i got a little tagline it's it's um reimagining the way we think and live through inspired communities so um the original process came through you know building inspections structural engineering doing the real estate side of things get into development um i call him a gold coast dad he's got a hotel furniture for out company so we manufactured furniture so i wanted to get into um property development integrated with um, a charity that I've established called Battlegrounds and we're looking to do sort of halfway houses for people who are suffering domestic violence. We had sort of the cafes downstairs that would have uh, counsellors working at the cafes so that you can instead of being going to a therapy room, you can actually go hang out at the cafe and chat to somebody who's a qualified therapist and if you need to, you've got therapy rooms out the back and that sort of thing. So it was this massive sort of vision for as much impact as we can create through this whole process um, of, of integrating all these vertically integrated companies. Um Things didn't work out exactly like that. That was the vision. Uh, We ended up – because my business partner is based on the Sunshine Coast, I'm based down here in Sydney. There's a bit of a disconnect in there and he had these visions that he wanted to do and obviously he put in a lot of money so we bought supermarkets and restaurants um, uh, up in the Sunshine Coast which then sort of twisted to how can we integrate these into uh, my sort of vision of these inspired communities which turned into this whole smart city concept. Um, That took a very interesting turn and ended up – Discussion, I've got heads of agreements in place with a, the with a space rocket company over in America who has engaged us or my company Open Pulse to uh, build out all their space rocket platforms. Um, and this was pre-COVID, a whole lot of chaos happened between now and then obviously. Um, so that really kicked us off into this smart city game where I then met this architect who provided me with these amazing plans and concepts for smart cities which we then put together um, and it's really integrates that whole circular economy. So... Uh, all your your water, your sewage, your solar, your energy, and all the rest of it is all um, uh, creates a circular economy where everything's sort of recycled and, and uh, comes back over top of each other. So it's it's a real uh, um, eco friendly, sustainable living way of life, uh, all built in sort of circles. So you get your city centre in the middle, then you have your industrial and your commercial and your residential on the outside next to the parklands, and that gives you the fresher air. So all the all the um, uh, City life is all in the middle, so but then you've got the fresh country air on the outside as well. Um, all connected by high-speed rail underground, um, so you don't really need cars, get around with cars if you want them, but you don't need to because you've got the high-speed rail that connects everything together. Um, kind of like that sort of 15-minute city thing, which is a frowned upon, I know by a lot of people, um, thinking they were sort of being imprisoned in this new system with uh, sort of what's coming out with these smart cities, but what I, refer, what I phrase these as is freedom cities. I don't like the whole surveillance thing that's coming through with these smart cities that have been developed. Um, actually scares the crap out of me, which is a big sort of driver, driving push behind these freedom cities that I wanted to create. Yeah, the sort of roadmap to this is is um, kicking off quite nicely if all goes to plan over the next five years. Um, but the first foot, the first seed in the ground is these smart farms. Um, so a smart farm on thirty acres can produce eleven thousand kilos of food a day. But the waste from the farm turns into a biomass fuel, and the biomass fuel can then power two thousand houses off the grid because um, it creates a biogas and then that gas can then get turned into electricity and the electricity of five megawatts per one farm um, can then power 2,000 houses and that gives you cheap food from the farm but also free electricity for all the houses or cheap electricity for the houses depending how you want to do it. And then that's 2,000 houses, that's the village. Go from the village to the towns and then from the towns to the cities. My plan obviously in this whole part is just to build out the infrastructure, making it affordable and then saying, hey, look, you know, we've got land here for university. Tender on the university, you got to fit in these guidelines, and then whoever's got the best designs and the best sustainability can come through
0: and build a university there. So, you know what you've explained sounds like a utopia, you know, to to, to a degree. Um, undertaking a project like that is is massive. You know, I can imagine, you know, that's that's hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars of of, of funding and and infrastructure and, and and all that comes with that. How do you go about setting something like that, like that up logistically and financially, you know, so in terms of the infrastructure that you're trying to build and in terms of gaining the funding to actually build something like that, what does that even look like?
1: Numerous ways. Um, My, my direction is uh, starting small, obviously. Um, So we've been um, on table and one of the negotiations we're in at the moment is uh, a block land up in Brisbane, um, that we're in talks with, it's 11 acres, uh, 20 minutes from the airport and we're looking to build a small one there so it's a proof of concept. Um, And we'll use that small um, farm to produce uh, uh, produce for our supermarkets and our restaurants. Um, We'll also at the same time show the proof of concept behind the biomass fuel that can then power um, whatever we want, whether it be AI computational computer systems or Bitcoin mining or whatever you want, we can still use that fuel for multiple different purposes. once you've got that proof of concept, then obviously buy a bigger block of land, do the big one. Um, the first farm will be income generating and that will help fund the second one but also get investors on board for the second one. The 30-acre farm is $50 million um, investment. Once you've got that, the whole idea behind the sort of community thing will be the tiny houses and so you can get people to want tiny houses and we can help you know, just like a caravan park style thing. That produces a proof of concept there and then from there on, you get bigger investors on board because obviously you've got a proof of concept and uh, we can approach funds to help with that side of things and that will just produce the idea behind that is to then produce a village. Um, but just obviously working your way up slowly. I, I call this my, my 1,000 year plan. I, I create this blueprint and then I sort of inspire the ideas and show the sort of vision behind it and then I don't think I'll ever see the end of it. But the concept is there and this is something that's going to, as, as I said, you know, reimagine the way we think and live through inspired communities because the way we're living at the moment through this rat race in the city, we're living in a three-dimensional city with 2D infrastructure and it doesn't make sense. So I want to try and show people a good, sustainable, healthy way of living that inspires community development um, and shows people that there are better lifestyles we can be living without having to negotiate the chaos that we go through in cities like Sydney.
0: How receptive do you find investors when you take these plans to them? You know, as I said before, big plans, you know, big, big, big plans. So... What does it look like when you take something like this to a potential investor? Probably someone who looks at something very analytically, very black and white. Yeah, what does that process look like?
1: It's uh, obviously a very complicated, very um, big vision uh, with lots of moving parts. Um, so I've learned over time to sort of break down into smaller bite-sized pieces um, because the people I talk to manage funds on behalf of other people. Um, I had a big cryptocurrency uh, blockchain um, aspect to this as well, and then you had a lot of funds that didn't touch cryptocurrency. Um, blockchain technology is a fantastic thing, but that's one aspect of this massive thing itself. Um, and so, talking to to investors about this is, is, and also got business coaches involved as well, and they sort of said, "Look, you know, bite-sized pieces. Talk to the valleys; those that are interested. So, talk to the talk to the hilltops; those that are interested in going to the valleys." Um, because obviously, I've comprehended this whole vision and this plan. But it's kind of hard to put, portray this to to people that then have to portray it to their people that they're investing on behalf of as well. Um, so it is a process, um, but I've got some good traction, and, and I'm hoping that we can uh, pull something off very soon.
0: So you mentioned a little bit there about you know crypto and, and blockchain, and, and obviously over the years you know we've had some uh, some good and some not so good experiences with that with that world. <laughs> H- how do you how do you incorporate? Blockchain, or, or I guess even for, for people who are listening, speak about blockchain on a on a kind of base level and then how you actually incorporate that into, you know, this eventual smart city.
1: Mm. So I've been interested in this for a very long time. I was looking at uh, Bitcoin when it was $80 um, and I was creating my own uh, competitor to Bitcoin or the, the crypto world back in uh, 2012, which is how I met my mentor Yossi I was t- telling you about earlier on. I'll, sort of, I'll lead through on that story. So um, I went to my accountant and this is back in the day in a very big accounting firm and uh, they had no idea what, what I was talking about. And uh, after I left, the accountant actually uh, told one of his mates who then called me and says, hey, I want to meet you. <laughs> I'm like, uh, who are you and what's your intentions? And he goes, I want to hear about your crypto project and uh, and if I like it, you know, I'll help you, help you get some money for it. I was like, interesting, all right. How do I know who you are? He goes, I'm the man with the black and white dog. Meet me at this cafe. <laughs> I was like, okay. So then I walk up to the cafe and this this, old, this black and white dog walks past and I thought, oh, that's the, probably the dog he's talking about. And then uh, this old man comes up and goes, you must be Michael. And I said, yes. And he goes, my name's Yossi. He sits down and they introduced me to some um, big names that used to run multi-billion dollar funds for for some very big tech companies. And, um, and they sort of helped guide us through this whole process and played devil's advocate for about a six-month period and then introduced us to... Um. um we just a very big fast food uh, franchise owner uh, who was um, interested in investing into this. Our concept was is called Adina, and Adina had, and this is in 2012. Adina had NFTs before NFTs were, were a big thing. Uh, we just thought, you know, if you have got this infrastructure, which is blockchain, and you have your token, which is which is called a car that drives along the blockchain. What can you put inside their car? So we thought about comic books, we thought about art, we thought about music because we had my business partner at the time very big into music, um, and so we had this we had the concept of NFTs through that, um, and we had an e-commerce store. We had QR codes that you could have at the front of your um, fast food store that we're talking about this guy, and you can scan it and then send it money. And so they had that whole concept of transferring digital assets. That that whole project ended up falling to the wayside. Uh, that's what sort of sent me into depression for about six months after that because the amount of time and effort and everything they put into it, but then everything in my gut. Twenty-four years old, just like, just don't take this guy's money. It's not something you want to do. Don't take this guy's money. So, probably one of the biggest regrets I've ever had in, in the business world, um, but probably saved you know, a young and dumb kid from having way too much money that he should have had at that age. here. I'm assuming it was almost like a message from God saying you still got a long way to go yet before you can get there. Um, that's what I hope anyway. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I've been following it for a very long time. Um, and now uh, uh, it's it's just taken a massive leaps and bounds. And um, obviously with, with the banks grabbing hold of it, with all the central banking digital currencies, you know, it's it's really, really heading in an interesting direction, which I'm not a big fan of. Um, I sort of see you know, 10, 15 years down the track that, you know, we're going to have this social credit system because AI is going to come through and, and take over the majority of our jobs, and now we've got this blockchain technology that you can make as much as you want to of pretty much, um, especially through the banking system and uh, I guess the control that they have over things. Um, you're going to get this universal basic income style uh, social credit system that's going to enable you to you know live within the framework of carbon credits and all the rest of it. You know. Um, sort of really monitoring how we live our lives and all the rest of it. So that scares me. That really scares me, especially with all smart cities coming through and the surveillance that these guys are putting out there as well. Various do- doom and gloom sort of perspective on the future. But if you combine all this technology together and take into consideration the effect of it and the ripple effect it's going to have on today's way of life. It is uh, it is pretty scary.
0: It sounds like a Black Mirror episode to me. <laughs> um, so, so you, you know, you're talking a bit about the, the kind of um, – I don't wanna say negative, but, but you know, the scary side of, of what that can do. You're trying to create these smart cities yourself. How are you gonna incorporate blockchain in a, in a positive way?
1: There are, yes, there's some really amazing things you can do with that. Um Blockchain infrastructure can be a transport of um, data and assets as well. Um, so uh, as well as also NFTs, um, I don't like the word NFTs or the, the phrase NFTs, I call them smart contracts. So a smart contract can be your rental agreement. It can be your employment agreement. It can be your um, uh, asset purchase. You know, if you buy a car, you can sell it via NFT. You can transfer of ownership of, of anything. Um, then you've got the cryptocurrency side of things, which is obviously your transactional. Uh, but then you have your um, blockchain infrastructure, which can be used for um, tracking uh, shipping of assets um, and uh Pretty much anything it's i look at blockchain as as uh, railroads and then it's whatever you put on the railroads you can you can transfer through so um being sort of the the rental agreements or the 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 property ownership rights um and that sort of thing is going to be really really cool for it um cryptocurrency um is really hard now that they're putting all this uh, legislation in place um because you can't just set up your own currency um and then it's really hard to sort of look at a rewards program style um, method of exchange or barter sort of system. Um, I had these ideas back then, but now with the SEC and the XRP sort of court case come through and, and how they are treating the side of things, I think it's going to be way too hard to actually push through anything that's going to, be able to compete with the banks uh, without going to jail. Anyway, mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 been the wild west that well, you know, up and up until now. And yeah, I think it was probably inevitable that the the government and the banks would start to get involved, and that obviously is counterproductive to what the crypto mm. native people actually want, which is no governance whatsoever. Um, you, you you spoke a little bit about you know AI. Obviously a buzz kind of topic at the moment. I know that it's something that you're quite involved in. How do you think AI is, is impacting the world right now? And, and what do you see, you know, the challenges that we're facing going forward? I
1: see AI is going to take out a lot of jobs and it's already doing that. I mean, if you have a look in the last um, 12 months, how many jobs have been lost right across the board in all different industries from technology through to banking through to we're going to have education is going to be affected by it too. Um, it's, it's scary because of the automation behind it. And it's, it's, uh, I see artificial intelligence is literally just a ledger, um, of pattern recognition. We haven't really got to AGI yet, which is general intelligence, which is sort of thought a computer system that can think for itself. But looking at what Microsoft is bringing in with their, actually never actually thought about how their investment into open AI is going to be affecting that recently because, uh, Sam has just been made, uh, got fired, So I'm not sure how that's going to affect what they're currently doing, but you, you can get yourself, you, you can type in a prompt uh, into Microsoft uh, and it will create spreadsheets for you and PowerPoints for you and Word documents for you, all based on a prompt and based on the data you feed it. So you can imagine how many jobs are going to go from that, um, accounting, bookkeeping, you name it. It's not far off, sort of wiping out a whole bunch of different industries. So then you're going to have a massive rate of unemployment. Um which is going to have a massive ripple effect on the greater economy in itself. Um, so that scares me. It really really does. Um the upside to it is um hard to see because <laughs> people aren't going to be thinking for themselves. You know, like artists, music, it's you're going to you're going to lose a lot of creativity. Genuine art is going to be a different thing. You can have it's going to become all sort of live performances and all sort of stuff is what people are going to sort of a value more so because they're not going to appreciate music because it was created on its own you're going to appreciate art because i can take photography with a few prompts um painting and all the rest of it the same thing um poems you know it's all it's it's wiping out a whole lot of creative industries um so it's going to be interesting to see what i mean like if people say oh you know the same we said the same thing about the internet but uh the internet also created jobs and I can't quite see how this is going to create jobs. I think it's going to free us up and give us a lot more time to focus on things that, you know, we're passionate about, whether it be singing and all the rest of it. Um, sort of manual tasks and that sort of thing might obviously stick around for quite a while. But Elon's developing the Tesla robot and so it'll be maybe five, ten years before they've gone to. And that's why Elon's so scared about this whole situation and that's why he's creating this, you know, computer chip. You know, if you can't, they, you put it inside your brain through... Um, Neuralink, and so if you can't beat them, join them, sort of thing. And it's not going to be until we actually integrate with artificial intelligence to realize how dangerous this whole thing is is going to be and where it's heading. Because then we'll be able to see what you know it's really capable of, and down the track. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like where it's heading.
0: Yeah, I mean it's pr- it's pretty terrifying. It, 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 is pretty, <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty. It is. It, it's a pretty terrifying kind of thing. It's not. It's not something that I've kind of delved too much into, and and, and I'm able to speak on, but. Yeah, I mean, you can see how, you know, that type of technology is going to take a lot away from, from what currently exists. I mean, I guess you could look at it in a positive way if you wanted to and say, you know, you, know, you speak about things like creativity and, and even business. Could there be a scenario where people find a way to leverage AI in a way that they are then creating, you know, in a different manner? The same way, you know, there's... There's digital music or there's digital arts and, and so on and so forth is there going to be a, a kind of segue into AI and, and and are there going to be new types of businesses that can impact the world in a positive way through AI you know that's a that's a positive case but
1: very much so that I've I don't know a word of code right and I have no idea how to code but I grabbed chat and I wrote a trading bot for cryptocurrency and integrated that into binance and was able to trade cryptocurrency on its own. And, um, just buying and selling on the MACD charts and you know, a few other extra inputs in there as well. Um, but that took me three days to learn and to do, and I was just typing in prompts, this is what I want to do and grab that code, stick it in. How do I stick this into a, a coding platform? And it told me which one to download and how to install it and all the things I needed. And so I just copy and paste the errors and tell me how to fix the errors. And I put that back in there again and create myself a trading bot in three days. Mm. So people like myself can then go on and create apps and we can create websites and, you, know, you can now grab your phone, you can take a photo of a. Like, this is the demonstration that the guys at OpenAI did. He drew a website and a few words on it and a few boxes, took a photo and said, turn this into an HTML website for me, and printed out the code and he stuck that into a platform and made himself a website in seconds. Um, so now you are can have all this skill set available to masses. And I guess it's up to how they use that to then create the good. But the only way to control this is to create, do what Elon Musk is proposing to do, and is is to put a real big, strong governance board in place to make sure that AI can only go so far without it becoming too dangerous and, and wiping out the world as we know it. I guess from a, from an employment perspective and the rest.
0: Yeah, I think I think that governance has to has to happen. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot about, I guess, your your journey, and and you know, you're involved in a lot of stuff. You're involved in a lot of big stuff. Um, and I'm sure that comes with a lot of pressure and, and a lot of kind of stress. W- what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in your journey so far? Oh, where do we start? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, people. People are the biggest challenge. Um, and the last, the last um, year has been a real tough one. Um, I've had some, some uh, pretty rough situations where um, I've been let down um, by people that I, I trusted. And obviously, you know, ripple effect, perfect storm sort of situation where, where you know, post-COVID and, and then all the rest of it sort of come through and created a scenario which became very difficult. And then I guess it's uh, the, every person, as I said at the very start, has their own story, you know. And, and you know, the reason why that stone is sitting over there is because it somehow got here from blah, 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 blah. You know, it's got this, this journey that sort of made it, got it to that point. And so uh, when you're dealing with, you know, we had several hundred staff right across the group and when you're dealing with that many people, you're dealing with a lot of scenarios and a lot of personal baggage and um, that makes doing business very, very, very hard. Um, Had some really good people in place but then I think they just got tired and um, dropped the ball and the ripple effect of that, you know, really caused some catastrophic situations right across the group. Um, That's a big hard part of business. Very high part of business, so you know having to then really shake up my life in order to help recover that situation has been a, a journey on its own, um, and devastating one of that. By the same time, I mean, it's I, and I guess that's that's a real sort of mental battle that you know we all fo- face on our own. You know, we've, we put a lot of trust in people, but then at the same time, we've got our own stories, and then we've got to we got to stand up and be responsible for our own um, actions as well, and and do what we have to do in order to you know, keep. Um, I guess, ourselves sane so that we can manage everybody else. I mean, when you've got 200 staff, you're providing for 200 families. And uh, and that's a massive burden on, on someone's shoulders because if I say, you know what, stuff this, I'm going to sell clothes, whatever it might be, there's that many people without a job. Um, and that's not something I take lightly as well. And it's, yeah, challenging.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's that's without a doubt one of the, the hardest parts of, of being a leader in general you know, whether it's big scale or small scale, it's 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 having to show up every day and and regardless of what you're dealing with and what you're going through in your own life, it's still showing up, you know, with a smile on your face, being there for your team, knowing that, you know, you're the rock, you're the support and Kind of internalizing that and and absorbing all the pressure at the top, so that it doesn't go onto your team. Mm. As you said, being responsible for people's lives and 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 and, and their families and whatnot, it, it's without a doubt the most difficult thing um, about leadership and being a leader in general. And I think, you know, some people crumble over that. You know, you you, you really have to be able to to deal with the pressure and find ways to deal with the pressure in, in order to do it successfully. Mm. Speaking on that point, you know, you, have spoken a bit or quite a lot about, you know, mentorship and and communities, um, that you've been a part of over the years, obviously Cub is one of those. Talk me through a bit of the, you know, the, the, the mentorship experience that you've had and and how important that's been throughout your journey.
1: It's been massive. Um, I've had quite a few mentors, um, and each one to their own sort of area, um, one of the Cub members, i give giving credit for this one, Matt Joy, he gave me this really cool analogy. He goes, um, he goes, you are an F-22 fighter jet, one of the best fighter jets out there. You're an absolute weapon. And he goes, every F-22 fighter jet has 30 ground support, keeping it in the air. He goes, make sure you have your ground support because if you don't, you're going to fall out of the air. Let's make sure you go to make your personal trainers, whether it be your counselors, your support network, your... Um, mentors, your um, nutritionist, whatever it might be, he goes make sure that you have every aspect of you covered so that you can keep fighting to the best of your ability. And so for me, that was massive. So we out and he put, he recommended a, um, a psychologist, and when I went and saw him just for personal development um, and to keep my head straight and to help me identify areas where I could use different tools to then keep me, you know, going at the best of my ability. Um, help me manage. Uh, the falls before they happen uh, so I can have softer landings in that sense. Um, the whole personal training side of things gives you more energy. and you know, All the rest of it, you know, stuff, all that sort of stuff is quite obvious but none of us really actually apply that to our daily lives. We know it's there, we know the tools that are there but how often do we actually engage those tools? Um, and that was something that sort of came to my realisation. was like, yeah, I know all this but I don't actually put it into action. So I start putting that into action which is really, really powerful. I then have mentors from a um, life perspective. Um, So that was Yossi, who passed away last month. Um, So that was pretty shit, 87 years old. Um, But his life, just learning from his experiences, that was massive. He went from, he's been in royal commissions, he's been, um, you know, he's one of the founding architects that helped set up Multiplex. Um, He's travelled the world and done business deals left, right and centre, oil and gas, mining, you name it, he's done it. Um, So learning about him and how he does his business and for him it's all just networking and people and deal-making connections. I remember sitting there one day at a cafe and he goes, see those two guys over there? I look over and see a couple of old gentlemen doing business. He goes, if that deal pulls off, I'll make a million dollars commission. I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, So it's it's just learning from other people's experiences. And me, I'm now 36. I've been through one heck of a lot in my short life. Um, So I got into, you know, my way of giving back was was doing mentorship and I've I've got a few people that I'm mentoring at the moment. Um, But also I went into the juvenile justice prison systems and did prison ministry and also taught um, the kids in their business and life skills because having worked from the Italian family back in Christchurch, um, the only way I managed to get out of that rut that I was stuck in was by picking myself up and moving myself out. You know, it's leaving everything behind, give myself into a new environment where I can then recreate myself. And that's what these kids have to do in order to get them out of their situation. But then also at the same time, it's picking up those skills and figuring out what they want to do and things like journaling so you can actually put those thoughts on the paper and all the rest of it and find out who you really are and where you want to go and all the rest of it because you're an inspiring thought. Um, and, yeah, just helping the kids sort of realise that their current environment doesn't have to be their permanent environment. Um, so that was that was cool. did that for about four years, um, three days a week, hard. Obviously also at the same time because you can mentor somebody as much as you want but you can get a horse to water but you can't make a drink. Um, and so I lost a few kids in that process as well which sucked. Um, heroin and all that sort of stuff and bad environments at home that they couldn't get out of. and Yeah. But, yeah, mentorship is a huge part of life and, and everybody needs to have that mentor and, and the ground support crew. It's a big part of um, functioning at your highest capability.
0: Yeah, I mean I totally agree. I think I think when you're operating – in an environment where you know you're in business and and there's pressure and you're responsible for people you 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 almost feel sometimes and I you know I can I can resonate with this a bit you almost feel sometimes like it is hanging by a thread you know and and it can all come unhinged very quickly and the only way to keep a kind of lid on it and keep control of of yourself and and the environment is to have those anchors i think you know mm. whether that be your fitness or or your family or, you know, your martial arts or your meditation or whatever it might be. I think that's a huge part of it, you know, having that anchor. And then the other side to that, as you said, you know, I totally agree is having people that have kind of been there and done it before that you can, you can look at and you can, you can watch and you can, you can rely on as well, you know, for advice, you know, sometimes things get difficult and, and you need people, to talk to to be able to kind of come through the other side. And I think that's a great thing that Cub provides. You know, I can awesome. I can speak for that experience, not just being a part of, of the team and and, and and whatnot, but being around people like you and, and many others all the time. I feel like I have that support system all the time. You know, I get I get to watch and I get to talk and it, it's a huge part having the right people yeah. around you.
1: You've got some great people in Covey. It's for me it's I see Cover as my social life because being in business and having this many businesses my only social life is within my own business, which is a bit sad. But coming to a events, like last, this week we had the uh, Black Tie Casino and I, which was a lot of fun and then that was a very late night for me as well. <laughs> and then uh, we had the, the property construction boat day which is just such a great day. to spend been a great way to spend a day on the harbour and sitting here with a whole bunch of people with like-minded um, common interests and all the rest of it, it's, it's fantastic. So it's it's been a real good sort of one social support network as well. It's um, really good people and made some really good friends real fast. But also the the caliber of people that you meet, who can inspire you, and, and so many different business uh, senses. From a as I said, Matt Joy, who's who became a business coach for me for a bit. Um, but also uh, just people who have so much business experience that can sort of mentor you through challenges that you're going through because they've all been through themselves as well. Yeah, it's been much appreciated.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think that is the most amazing thing about it. That in reality, what you're doing is you're making friends with other people who understand you. You know, mm-hmm. they're going yeah. through the same journey, and 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 that's. Um, that's something pretty special and, and obviously we've kind of seen that. I'm interested, you know, we've spoken a, a few times about these these lofty goals that you've got, you know, the, to, to pull this kind of thing off is is, is massive. <laughs> How are you gonna feel if you do pull it off?
1: It's an interesting question. I, um, it's one of those sort of things that, you know, people with my sort of mindset do not ever achieve an end goal. And one thing I have to try and really make myself do is enjoy the journey because once you hit that goal, you see it with a lot of actors and, and, and famous people, they, they sort of get to an end point and they achieve all their goals and then they get really depressed down and out in suicide because what's next? You know, there is nothing next. There's nothing to get out of bed for. It's the whole early retirement thing really taught me this. And that's why I call it my 1,000-year plan. So in my head, I'm never going to finish it. Right? I'm never going to finish it. I'm going to create a blueprint and I'm going to try and help. This is going to be my legacy. Um, a big part of that whole thing as well was I decided not to have kids to make sure that I use all my time and focus on creating this legacy because I want to impact more people's lives than my own immediate family in that sort of sense. Um, And when I say that, obviously my wife and I both decided this mutually um, for both multiple reasons, but this I'm talking specifically about this driving force behind creating this legacy without trying to sound like a dickhead. Um, But it's... Yeah, if I was to have a family, seeing my sort of my grandfather and how he travelled and how that that impacted my auntie and my mum's life because they never had that male role model around because he was always doing business and travelling, I don't want that for my kids. So if I had kids, I'd 100% focus on them. But in order for me to um, really impact as many lives as I can, which I want to be my personal legacy, um, I sort of cut those ties, so to speak, So I could focus 100% on this. Um, And it is a big vision that the only thing that I would be able to do is um, create that blueprint to reimagine the way we think and live.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's, it's admirable, you know, because, because I think that the the real lesson here, and I think the thing for people to take out of this is, you know, if you've got big dreams, there's a lot of sacrifice that has to be made in, in order to get there. And you're, you're obviously very mindful of that. And, 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 and are kind of mapping towards where you need to get to. And it's, it's hard, there's things that you got to let go in, in order to do so. What 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 does the next kind of five years look like for you? Well,
1: um, dream scenario, which never happens, unfortunately. Um, but I've got a deal on the table at the moment, which is um, leading me up to Brisbane. Um, so I'm in progress of moving out there. Um, if I can pull this this opportunity off, then we're gonna create a really cool community inspired center. Um, garden centre, restaurants, night markets, um, shared workspace, um, drive through coffee shop uh, on 15,500 square metres in Brisbane. Um, so hopefully we can pull that off. And then in partnership with the um, person that we're talking to in regards to that, they're the, one, they're the ones that offered us this land um, in Brisbane for the smart farm. So um, that will be a couple of years down the track uh, after we get this, this first project off the ground. Um the current lease finishes in two years, so hopefully we can take that over then and put in uh, our first prototype of this smart farm. And the, the farm has been done before, but this is our sort of first version of us doing it ourselves to sort of create the proof of concept. Um, so we'll get that off the ground, and if that happens, then a few years later on down the track after that, hopefully we'll get the 30-acre one, and that's going to be the start of the the first village. That's that's the dream scenario. Now what's actually going to happen uh, World War Three. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, Anyone's got a plan
0: to look at much <laughs> in the face, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, Mike, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, we've gone into a lot. I think there's a lot that people can take out of this. Thank you. You know, for 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 being kind of the the, the contributor that you've been to our community. I've enjoyed you know the friendship that we've we've built over the years, and and you're around you know, a lot and, and and we know that we can rely on you. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate you coming on today.
1: Thank you, man. I'm really looking forward to the uh, Brisbane office opening up too so I can uh, be a founding member of that one and uh, become part of the furniture there as well.
0: 100%. It's, it's well <laughs> in play. So that kind yeah, of everybody can uh, can yeah. expect an announcement imminently, I think. Um it came out yesterday. Yeah, well, I mean the general public. <laughs> no, yeah. Sorry, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, no, um, thank you,
1: Kevin. It's been really, really awesome being part of the um, community and I uh, really enjoy this time with you this morning. I'm sure we, you and I could talk all day about this sort of stuff. But and um, you know, I thank you very much for all you do as well and uh, and for the rest of the team. You guys have been absolutely fantastic and I really feel part of the family here and it's uh, it's been an honor to be on here today as well.
0: Yeah, much appreciated. Uh, And to our listeners, uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about Mike, head over to cub.club slash podcast. Um, You'll find Mike's LinkedIn. You'll find his website, you know, his favorite quotes, some of his favorite books. Uh, And yeah, thanks for listening.
1: Cool. Thank you.